0: Well, if you guys want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, Acts chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. Um, If you remember, if you were here last week, we covered two chapters really, Acts chapter 11 as well as Acts chapter 12, And, and in both of these chapters that we looked at them together, we really got to see the ministry and the ministry endeavors of both Peter and Paul. We saw both of them in action last week. Um, in chapter 11, if you remember what we saw there, was uh, Peter basically having to defend himself against the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem. If you remember what happened, Peter went to uh, Cornelius' house and preached the gospel to him. And uh, just that fact alone caused uh, Peter to need to defend himself Uh, to the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem. And so Peter defended himself by basically recounting uh, for the Christians in Jerusalem everything that had happened uh, in Acts chapter 10. Peter told the Jewish Christians that the reason he was in a Gentile's house was because that God had orchestrated the whole thing from the beginning. He tells them how God had given Cornelius, this Gentile Uh, 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 an angelic vision Uh, an angel had actually visited him and and told Cornelius to seek out Peter Peter told uh, the Jewish Christians how um, he himself had had a vision from God how God appeared to him on the roof at the the house by the sea there at the Tanner's house and God had given him that vision of the sheet that came down if you remember that sheet was filled with clean and unclean animals and Peter was trying to figure out the significance of that and uh and, and when at the moment him that uh, he was trying to figure out what God was trying to show him through that, these Gentiles showed up. These unclean Gentiles showed up at the door seeking him. So Peter recounted all of that. Peter also recounted the fact that when he got to these Gentiles' house, the the Spirit of God fell on them just as it as it had fallen on Peter and all the Jews at Pentecost. And so What Peter was basically doing was trying to convince the Jews that this wasn't something that Peter did. Peter was actually reluctant. This whole interaction between Peter and the Gentile Cornelius was all orchestrated and and ordained by God himself. And so we saw, as Peter recounted all this to them, that the the Christians, the Christian Jews back in Jerusalem finally, they finally accepted what Peter was saying. And if you remember the words that they used when, when they came to this reality, they said, Okay, it seems that the Gentiles have been granted the repentance that leads to life. We talked about the significance of that that statement by these Jewish Christians that the Gentiles had been given repentance that leads to life. Um, We also looked at this brand new uh, church that was planted in the city of Antioch. You remember that church in Antioch? A brand new church planted. Uh, It's going to be predominantly a Gentile church. In Antioch, probably the first Gentile church that there was. There we saw the church in Jerusalem, the apostles in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas up to this this work of God that was going on in the city of Antioch to see what was going on, to to minister to the brand new Christians there in Antioch. And uh, we saw that Barnabas showed up to this church, and and, and the word of God had exploded in such a way, there were so many converts in the church of Antioch that Barnabas actually had to seek help. And he left, uh, he left Antioch and went to Tarsus where he sought out Saul. And so Saul was brought over to Antioch and helped Barnabas teach and disciple this brand new church full of brand new believers. That was chapter 11. Chapter 12, then what we looked at there was, was really a battle, a battle between this, this wicked man, King Herod, uh, King Herod was was starting persecution against the church. He killed James, the brother of John. He was attempting to kill Peter, and so the battle ended up being was the 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 military prowess of King Herod and his in his wanting to persecute the church versus the prayers of the church. And we saw who won that battle. As um, ironically, it wasn't Herod uh, having Peter killed. Herod ended up being killed by God. We saw he was struck down by an angel and was killed. And so uh, even despite all that persecution that, that Herod started and began against the church in Jerusalem, we ended on that, that a good note, a sweet note, if you just even glance back at Acts twelve twenty four, Despite all the persecution, verse 24 said, But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Whether whether we suffer, uh, whether our brothers and sisters suffer, the most important thing is that the word of God spreads and God is glorified. That was last week. So here we are. Um, we're in chapter thirteen. Uh, what we're going to see now is as we what we're going to see is this brand new church that was already mentioned. This brand new church in Antioch. That's what we're going to be seeing here in uh, in Acts chapter thirteen. And as we move through the book of Acts, what you're going to notice is that how all, all the focus has been on that church in Jerusalem where the apostles are. Now Luke is, is slowly but surely, the focus is moving away from Jerusalem, uh, the, the center of all God's worship for, for ever since he gave people the, the land of Israel. Um, now the focus is actually moving uh, to a Gentile church, to a Gentile church up in Antioch. And from here, this is going to be uh, the focus of all the church's uh, missionary endeavors—that the gospel is going to go out—primarily not from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, if you remember, is under persecution. They're broke. Uh, these people are hurting. Um, the, it's the church in Antioch, a Gentile church, that that's really going to explode and spread the Christian message. And uh, today, what we're going to be seeing is—is is really, if you see, you, if you have an NASB, it's entitled. First Missionary Journey. That's how Acts chapter 13 is entitled. Um, so what we're seeing is the great Apostle Paul's um, first missionary journey. That's what we're going to be looking at, the first missionary journey. And it's this brand new church in Antioch that does the sending for the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has been teaching in this church over a year, and this church is going to send him out. Um as I said, this church in Antioch is going to be the primary focus of the church, uh, the, of the early church. It's going to be the primary sending church that's going to spread the gospel over the whole earth. And being that this church is, is going to be so prominent, does anybody remember, to put you on, get your minds working already, does anybody remember who, uh, who, plant, who, who planted this church, who started this church in Antioch? Who is it that uh, started this, what's going to be the greatest missionary church ever in the history? Of, does anybody remember? It's kind of a trick question. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right off the bat. It's kind of a trick question. Okay, look back Look back at Acts 11, 19. Acts 11:19 19 uh, and 20. It says there, so... Then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, they made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. Verse 20, But but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So, it was a trick question in that the Bible doesn't even give us the names of the men who started what is going to be the most uh, famous, that's going to be the most significant missionary church in the early church. Um, No other church is going to produce fruit. No other greater missionaries is going to come from this church. And so it's from uh, this unnamed group of men uh, that um, are going to inspire us, likewise, to spread the gospel in that uh, it's not about the prominence of who you are. It doesn't matter if you get any credit whatsoever for what you do in spreading the gospel. Um, let it encourage you that this unnamed group of guys uh, started really what's going to be one of the greatest churches that there was. Um, so it, let it encourage you to spread the gospel um, no matter who you are. Because there's really no telling what's going to come of your, of your evangelism. There's no telling who the Lord might save uh, through your evangelism, what work of God might start as a result of you spreading the gospel? Um, it could be some obnoxious kid that you share the gospel with that'll turn into the next Atterneyam Judson <coughs> or William Carey or Jonathan Edwards. You don't know what God's going to do with the gospel, so spread it to everyone. And uh, and obviously, these men did hear, and God didn't even see fit to list their names for us. But I guarantee you, they don't regret the work. Mm-hmm. And they're being honored and, 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 uh, and are being uh, rewarded for their faithfulness, even though we don't know their names. Okay, so let's dive in. With that being said, with that really uh, lengthy introduction, let's dive in. Chapter 13, verse 1. Let's look at what's going on here in this, in this church in Antioch. 13, verse 1, it says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, Prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Menaean had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, meaning uh, this is the Herod who beheaded John the Baptist, if you remember. Uh, This man was brought up with him, was raised with him. And so this man in the church would have obviously been very uh, prominent, probably very wealthy as well. Um, He would have been a very influential man. But notice last, and certainly not least in the sentence here, is Saul. These are the leaders um, here in verse 1 given to us of this church in Antioch. And the text there tells us uh, that of this group, there was prophets and teachers in this church in Antioch. It doesn't tell us um, who were the prophets, who were the teachers. I mean, the the guys we're most concerned with in this church, Barnabas and Saul, um, I think would be safe to say to categorize them as teachers and we don't really see them prophesying uh, per se, but we do see them teaching. We already saw that that's what they were doing back in Acts chapter 11. As this church got planted, they were teaching and discipling the men. Um, The prophets, there was actually already prophets mentioned. You remember the prophets in Acts chapter 11 that came up from Jerusalem, and they were prophesying of that famine, right? Some of them uh, probably remained. Uh, Maybe there was others. But that's what we have here, prophets and teachers in this church. Notice as well, just from this list, um, the the multicultural aspect and really the beauty of it in this early church. This church is planted in a Gentile area, but but look who's there. You have Paul and Barnabas. These men are Jews. Simeon, who is called Niger. Niger is Latin for black. And then you have Lucius of Cyrene, which is North African. That's a North African uh, location where these men are from. Then you have... this man of royal descent here in the mix. And so what we have is this just beautiful picture of all of these different walks of life in this church. It's just like, you know, you see what heaven's going to be like in Revelation chapter 5. You know, there's going to be people there from from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation all gathered together uh, with the one thing in common, which is their worship of Christ and of God. That's what should form a church, you know, not your not where you're from or, or what you look like. You know, here we see this church just coming together for, for the sake of Christ. Um, verse 2 says, While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Now, I've got to stop right there already because that's, that's significant. That statement in and of itself, it, especially when it comes to one's um, understanding of the Trinity. Do you see here it says that the Holy Spirit said... Um, The Holy Spirit is is a distinct uh, person in the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is not just a uh, a, a power. The Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit tells them what to do. And he says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3, Then when they had fasted and prayed again and they laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so what we have here is what I was saying is, is going to be the ordination process, really, of the very first two missionaries being sent out from this church in Antioch. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, sets apart Barnabas and Saul to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, as we will see. Um, this church here, as I've already tried to build up, is something else. Do you remember uh, that I did the sermon on Acts 2.42 where we saw... All the healthy marks of the church in Jerusalem. What were the the, the healthy marks um, of that church in Jerusalem? You remember some of them? They were praying. They were praying, church. What else else was was significant about what they did? (coughs) Study the word. They were under the apostolic teaching. Yeah. (coughs) That's right. That was primary. Fellowship. One more: the breaking of bread. Right? Which I think they were taking the Lord's Supper in their fellowships. Yeah, that's right. Those were the, the marks of that healthy church in Jerusalem. Now, now let's just stop for a minute and look at the, the marks of the healthy church here in Antioch. What have we seen so far of this church? Well, first of all, this church was a gracious church because as as you remember in Acts chapter eleven at the end of eleven, when those prophets came up from Jerusalem and said, "There's going to be a famine in Judea, in Jerusalem," uh, what did this brand new church do? Um, in response to that news that there's going to be a, a famine in Jerusalem. you remember what they did? It said that every one of them who had means gave to the church in Jerusalem. They were a very gracious church. They, they gave to a relief fund for people who had not even entered into a uh, famine yet. It was just prophesied that there was going to be a famine. That's how faithful they were in, in giving. Um, we see that this is a very selfless church. Um, because look at what's happening right here in the sending of, of Saul and Barnabas. Um, these would have been the two primary leaders, the two primary teachers. These are the two men that, that really started the foundation of this church. And this church is already willing to give them up. That would be like us sending Pastor Emilio somewhere. You know, We would not be very willing to do that unless, of course, the Holy Spirit himself told us to do it then i think then and only then would we send him off to do some missionary work um, but there we just see the willingness of them to be selfless they're pretty much giving up the, the two greatest teachers that they had and then lastly we've seen a couple times repeated already they were a praying in a fasting church a praying in a fasting church some of the hardest things um, to do through prayer and fasting yes sir how much of this do you think is a model for churches today, as far as the Holy Spirit said to us, send these guys to go? Well, because don't you kind of get close to the God told me to do this, and I have special revelation from God that you can't question. Yeah, well, I'd say that's first of all exactly what's going on here. You know, mm-hmm. God did say, and you couldn't question. You know, but what's interesting? So look, look, um, even at the text here, since you mentioned that. What, what did they do after the Holy Spirit told them, set apart uh, Saul and Barnabas for this work to I have called them? Uh, verse 3 says, uh, then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them. So even in what I think was a prophecy, somebody probably stood up, a prophet full of the Holy Spirit said, set apart these men, Barnabas and Saul for me. Um, they didn't take it vulnerably they didn't just well okay you know whatever this guy said you know, he says he's a prophet let's let's send them off that's not what they did even at the the, the, the the prophecy given they fasted and prayed so we know that there was a definitely a discernment going on here in, in, in the receiving of this prophecy you know when it comes to prophecy just like uh, first Corinthians says everything's to be tested you know we don't think, we don't believe somebody's uh, a prophet, just because they say they are, you know, we we see here that uh, the apostles, the prophets, they were the foundation of the church. You know, it also says they were the foundation of the church. The foundation is not going to be relayed. You know, the apostles, the apostles are not going. The apostleship is not going to continue. Neither do I think that the, the the office of this prophet continues. Now that doesn't mean that people can't prophesy. But in this sense of these people who were prophets, who were apostles, I mean, I don't see that continuing on um, today. I think they laid the foundation. <laughs> but in anything, any, any, any word that somebody has, just like the, ch- the early church did, there had to be discernment. You didn't take anybody for their word, you know, just because they said something. Uh, but it has to be tested. By what? Well, what do we test anything by? Of course. Yeah, scripture. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you have something, Jason? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, with an aspect of that, is that we kind of do that when we potentially send missionaries out. They go before the congregation, hands are laid on them, and we pray for them. Mm-hmm. So, and we do that recognizing their ability and gifts to go out and proclaim the gospel as missionaries. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's just a random person saying you ought to go. You know, I think the leadership recognizes it, and then because they recognize it, they lay hands on them, mm-hmm. and we yeah. and we still do that today. We still we still use our discernment in all these things. Yeah, that's right. Um, I've just noticed, like, we typically don't use this strong of language. The Holy Spirit told me mm-hmm. to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and then we said, "Oh well, hey, let's pray about it and let's yeah. discern." I mean, yeah. we're we're typically not like. Already, we're not saying in the first mm-hmm. place, God told me, you mm-hmm. know. Well, not at this church, anyway. Not at this church, yeah, yeah, it yeah. does happen, that's for yeah. sure. But you do mm-hmm. say something like, you feel that God is leading you there. Mm-hmm. So you may not sort of say, the Lord told me, but you feel, you feel, I think, you think the Lord calling. Told me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you feel like God is opening that door for you, you know, God is uh, um, overwhelming you, yeah, to, to feel. Like, this is where you're called to go. Yeah. So. Yeah, sure. I think God, yeah, God uses all, all sorts of means in guiding us. You know, the desires of our heart, even, is one way that he moves us into what he wants us to do. You know, he changes even our desires. He changes our our, our willingness to do things. He He guides us for sure. If he didn't, I don't know what we would do, you know, if he didn't interact with our minds and our hearts. I'm glad that he does that. Um, Okay, so y'all ready to do something here? This might be a little tricky. Hopefully it's not. But what I want to do here is as we have the setting apart of Barnabas and Saul for this, for this missionary work, um, why don't you guys, if you, if you want to, flip back to the back of your Bibles and find the map section. If you have an NA- NASB, find your inspired uh, maps. If you have an ESV study Bible, flip through probably 50,000 pages of maps and try to find one. It's in d try, yeah, try to find one. Try to find one that's labeled the missionary journeys of Paul. There's probably is one. There probably is one. And so what I want to do here is um, as we go through these next couple of verses, I'm just going to read them. And I think it would be helpful for you just to track... Track the, the, the movings of the, the, the missionaries uh, Paul, Barnabas, and John here The first city you want to find Before we get started here is Antioch Antioch If you find Jerusalem Just go straight north about 200 miles Until you find Antioch It may be called Syrian Antioch Possibly um, If you see the big water The big Mediterranean Sea It's going to be like in the top right hand corner of that um, just on the coast Find Antioch And so I'll read beginning I'm going to read the next three verses And you can just track um, There may be even arrows drawn on your map But just track with the Apostle Paul here for a minute Verse 4 says So being sent out By the Holy Spirit They went down to Seleucia Do you see Seleucia It's very close to Antioch It's a it's port city right on the coast Of the Mediterranean southwest of Antioch they went to Seleucia. This is where they're going to sail out from. It says, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. You see Cyprus. It's the big island in the middle of the Mediterranean. Um, it would have actually taken them about a day to sail from Seleucia to Cyprus. Um, but now that you've found Cyprus, it says, and when they reach Salamis. Do you see Salamis, a city in, in Cyprus? That's where they, that's where they start it says, there they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they also had John as their helper. And when they had gone through the whole island, when they had gone through the whole island of Cyprus, as far as Paphos, you see Paphos on the other side of Cyprus? There they found a magician. And so that's where we're going to be, right here, in Paphos, where they find this magician, so you can flip back. I should have reminded you to stick a finger in Acts, chapter 13. And um, but that's where they are now. They're in Paphos, and, and they found a magician. And so, uh, and so while you're, maybe if you're finding your way back, I'll just note on the mention here of this man John, who it says John was their helper. And so we have Paul and Barnabas, and this man who's their helper named John. That's John Mark. That's actually the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, who is actually going to end up being a, a very significant... Um, He's really going to be a point of contention between Paul and Barnabas later on. We'll even see why that is going on in our text here. Um, But now if you're back to verse 6, it says, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Mm Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus, which ironically, this name means the son of Jesus or the son of Joshua. Ironically, but verse 7 says, Who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. Now, this office of proconsul, uh, the, uh, the, the proconsul was a, a Roman-assigned um, government official who was assigned to oversee military as well as judicial um, things in an area. And so this proconsul, Sergius Paulus, was over the island of Cyprus. He was a Roman-assigned um, governor of this area and uh, keep going in verse 7 it says this man summoned Sir- Sergius Paulus this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God but Elymas, the magician for so his name is translated was opposing them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith but Saul who was also known as Paul Now I can start calling him Paul without confusing you and going back and forth. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he fixed his gaze on him and said, You are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Verse 11 says, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So, I think in all this, um, even though Luke here is not referred to Paul and Barnabas as apostles, um, he will do that in the next chapter, in chapter 14. Um, But here we see Paul Really executing that same apostolic authority um, that Peter did. I mean, this scene looks very familiar. If you remember back from Acts chapter eight, where Peter was having to address Simon the sorcerer, and you remember that threat that he made as he saw right into the heart of uh, Simon the sorcerer's heart, and just that that authority that he that he, he spoke to him with. Here we see. Paul doing much of the very same thing, and uh, ironically, casting blindness upon this man, the same thing that happened to Paul himself. Remember Jesus called him to be blind for a time when he called him. Um, but I think what is the most important thing to see about this whole time is what verse 12 says. It's what it tells us about this proconsul, Sergius Paulus, in his faith, in his believing. The text says he believed when he saw what had happened. That's referring to um, his witnessing of Paul's supernatural ability um, and and Paul's supernatural superiority to that of his magicians. He was able to make his his magician go blind. Um, And that was significant. It says that's what led to his belief. But it goes on from there because as with really any true convert to Christ, it's not simply a miracle. It's not simply seeing a miracle as we know from the Gospels that causes faith. Um, uh, But more importantly, the last phrase there, verse 12 says, he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. That's what sealed the deal right there. He may have been uh, swayed to believe uh, what was said through the miracle, but what uh, saves is the teaching of the Lord. And so this man had become a, a believer. He had become a believer. And with this amazing conversion... Of, of who was the leading ruler in this, this large island of Cyprus, from here, uh, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are going to sail off again. They're going to sail off from the island. So, if you want to flip back again, flip back again, they're going to move again. And you can track with them as I read uh, the next couple of verses. Flip back to your map. Um, I'll read the next couple of verses from where these men go from Cyprus. Verse 13 says, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos, and they came to Perga, or Perga in Pamphylia." So this is just north. They went north from the island, across the Mediterranean, um, from Cyprus. And here it says in the verse, But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So that right there, as I mentioned earlier, is going to be a point of contention, the fact that John Mark bailed on them. Um, but going on it says Verse 14 says But going on from Perga They arrived at Pisidian Antioch Do you see Pisidian Antioch? Mm-hmm. It's still more, th- more north still than Perga They kept going north um, And this Pisidian Antioch As you can tell from the map It needs to be distinguished from uh, Syrian Antioch Which is where their church originally was Right, The church that was that's entitled Antioch Is in Syria This is Pisidian Antioch a, An entirely different city and so, um, if you want to turn back now, that's where we're going to be, in Pisidian Antioch. Um, this is where the, the, the missionaries are going to be for the rest of the chapter. Um, so back in verse 14, maybe starting halfway through, verse 14 it says, They're in Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said. Mm-hmm. And so what we're going to have here from really from verses 16 all the way to verse 41, which is a lot of text. Um, here we have the very first recorded sermon by the Apostle Paul. The very first sermon in the book of Acts right here. For us, And as I said before, if there's anything that we don't want to skip over as we're moving through the book of Acts, I'm going as fast as I can, but if there's anything we don't want to skip, it's it's these sermons, it's these gospel presentations by the apostles <coughs> is one thing I do not want us to miss. I want us to have a, an apostolic um, understanding of the gospel so that we can make sure we understand the gospel correctly, first of all, and so that we can share the gospel uh in the way that the apostles did right so i don't want to skip over the sermons so what we're going to do uh being that pastor emilio is out today we're going to take this sermon that paul gives and i'm going to make that the that's going to be the message for our service today okay so you're going to have to wait on that it's good it's a good sermon it works out it works out perfectly you know, Emilio called, I need you to do a sermon I said, well I got a sermon Thank God. I got a sermon um, So that's what we're going to do We're going to do that in the service So let's jump down, jump all the way down to verse 42 Where here, uh, we're going to pick up Where Paul wraps up his sermon Verse 42 says As Paul and Barnabas were going out The people kept begging That these things might be spoken to them The next Sabbath Now, when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. And so, as I said, this is a good sermon. We know it's a good sermon because both Jews and these God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas out. Uh, verse 44 goes on to say, In the next Sabbath, nearly nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. So this must have been a really, really good sermon, because not only did the people who were there who heard the sermon um, come back, but the whole city had heard about the preaching of this, this message by the Apostle Paul. It says the whole city assembled um, on the next Sabbath. Uh, verse 45 but when the Jews saw the crowds... Now, I said, like, it sounded originally like everybody there really liked the sermon, right? But look what happens, verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, meaning when they saw all the people from the city come to hear this, this, the retelling of this gospel by Paul, they were filled with jealousy. And they began contradicting the things spoken by Paul, and they were blaspheming. So everybody really seemed okay with the message until until their their followers started seeking after Paul now. And they were they became jealous. They became jealous it, and and they became jealous to the point of blaspheming. You know, these Jew blasphemy was no small thing for the Jews. That shows you the indignation that rose up with them when they saw their, their beloved followers following after somebody else. Um, they became jealous to the point of blaspheming. Verse 46, um, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. We're going to notice, if you haven't already, um, that phrase is being repeated as a description of the apostles throughout the book of Acts. They spoke out boldly. That's what, that's what was going on here. Even as this um, opposition rose up, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. And then Paul quotes in the Old Testament. He says, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And so this text, this this thing he quotes, is probably in all caps in your Bible. Hopefully it lets you know it's a a quote from the Old Testament. But what Paul is quoting there is the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verse 6. And uh, here he's showing that what they're doing now is all they're doing is simply fulfilling the purposes of God, these purposes of God that have been there um, from the beginning. And what's also interesting is that this text, this quoted text by Paul from Isaiah 49, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles. In the context of Isaiah 49, that is a, uh, a, 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 a text given to the Messiah. This is what the Messiah was going to do. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles. And uh, what's so interesting is that this text finds its fulfillment. Um, Paul Says, God has told us. This text is finding its fulfillment through the preaching of the missionaries of the church. Because it's just like you remember, remember what Jesus said to Saul on the road to Damascus? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Um, Saul said, Who are you, Lord? He said, It's Jesus. So, so what it, how in the world was Saul persecuting Jesus? Jesus was already ascended at the right hand of the Father. How was it that Saul was persecuting Jesus? How, how is that? What did Jesus mean by that? He just- the church. He's persecuting the church. Saul was persecuting the church, and therefore Jesus could say, You're persecuting me. And so, almost with the same significance, this, this um, call that was for Jesus himself as being the Messiah, placed as a life for the Gentiles, this finds fulfillment in the church. Paul, Paul takes this upon himself as being fulfilled in his spreading of the gospel. Um, so now the Jews have rejected their Messiah. Paul says the gospel is now going to the Gentiles. And it's going to go to the Gentiles with full force. Now that these Gentiles, uh, now that the Jews had rejected it. Um, verse 48. Very important text. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, when they heard that the gospel was coming to them, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as, it, and as as many had been appointed to eternal life, believed. Okay, that's Acts thirteen forty eight. a text to note. It's a text you don't want to read over too fast because what does this text um, explicitly say is the reason? What's the foundation? Why did these Gentiles believe? Yeah, the text says because they had been past tense appointed to eternal life that's why they believed because they had been appointed to eternal life because a- paul uh, looked at their needs and made a presentation that was seeker friendly No, that is not why. That is not why. Made sure that the bathrooms were in the (laughs) right place in the synagogue. Yes, yes, they were wooed. Um, (laughs) Paul obviously had uh, Just As I Am playing. You know, he had the harpist there in the synagogue playing um, just right. Um, But no, it says their appointment was by God. This appointment to eternal life um, is what predicates, this is what leads to their belief. It's not the other way around, as most people see it. You don't get appointed or, or determined to appoint, uh, to eternal life because you believe. It's the appointment of God for you to believe that causes your belief. Um, maybe just a ref. Let's let's flip over to John one twelve. Uh, John one twelve. This is a, a significant text for many reasons. One being kind of what we're looking at here as many um, really see the becoming of, of somebody, of coming to the faith, um, as, as, as being from themselves, um, as, as, as this leading to why somebody becomes a child of God. But here I think John 1.12 is so significant because you see both aspects of somebody coming to faith. You see both the belief of the human Because humans are who believes. God doesn't believe for you. God gives you faith and you believe. But here in John one twelve and verse 13 as well, uh, John works it all out for us. How is it that we believe and why? Read John one twelve. It says, But as many as received him, this is talking about the reception of Jesus, the reception of who he is in his gospel, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. Right? Very, very straightforward. Something we all believe. Everybody believes that it's through belief in Jesus that you become a child of God. Right? Everybody's fine with that point there. Everybody amends that. But look at verse 13. Because John's going to go on to explain how and why this belief happens. How and why is it that this person has been born again? Verse 13 says, Who were born... Speaking of, of this new birth, these people who believed, who were born not of blood, meaning you, you don't end up believing because of who your father is or who your mother is, uh, not, uh, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, meaning it's not something you conjure up in the flesh. Uh, some people think it's even a reference to, uh, to, to procreation somehow, like it's not a result of, of, again, something that you're born with or something that your family instills into you or talks you into nor of the will of man. You do not believe because of your will. Right? There go. I mean, you know the whole free will debate here. John 1, 12 and 13, I mean, it's the answer for the, I mean, it puts an end to the debate if you ask me. Because here it's a direct reference to why you believe. We all agree, yes, you believe the gospel. Why is it you believe? Well, it's not because of blood. It's not the will of the flesh. It's not even the will of man. It says, but of God. God is why you believe. God is why you've been reborn. It's all of grace. It's all of grace. It's, it's the choice of God for us to be saved, just like our text says in Acts 13:48. It's the appointing of God in His grace that leads to our day one believing the gospel. Um, that's, 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 the, that's the explanation for our belief. That's why we sit here today because of the grace of God and His appointment before the world began for us to believe the gospel. Um, Let's go on in the text. Um, Verse 49 says, And the word of the Lord, again, this is another constant recurring statement. This is how we know the Spirit of God is at work in this new church. Verse 49, And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Verse 50, But the Jews incited The devout woman of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But, notice the response of Paul and Barnabas, um, but they shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. Iconium. Don't worry about flipping back. We'll pick up in Iconium next week, but that's where they go from here. It says, and the disciples... We're continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now that's the reaction that we should have as well to persecution. Right? the, the, the people are trying to push them out of the city, um, persecute them and, and they're being stirred up against because of their preaching. They don't you know, they don't go and you know, picket the the, the town hall and they don't try to, you know, rise up and fight it. Um, they they kick the dust off their feet and take the gospel somewhere else. And while they're doing that, they're not downcast, they're not discouraged at all. Um, they're continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you remember what the, what the apostles' reaction was earlier in Acts when they were persecuted and scourged and whipped as a result of the gospel and in prison. They went out um, having joy and continually praising, having been counted worthy to suffer for His name. Suffering for the name of Christ um, should lead to joy. It should lead to joy. And so, right here, this is where we'll pick up. We'll pick up with Paul and Barnabas. Remember, John Mark left. And we'll pick up with them next week in chapter 14 in the city of Iconium. That's where they're going to be. Um, where once again, many will believe their preaching. And again, many will attempt to persecute them. And again, the word of the Lord will continue to spread. Okay, let's go to worship. Let me pray and we'll go. Well, Father, Father, I thank you, God, for this church. Father, I thank you for giving your word to us in your grace, God, for having um, destined us to escape your wrath and for predestining us to receive your grace and for uh, putting us in a place, God, where we can open up our Bibles, Father, every day, without fear of persecution, without fear that the government's going to rush in. Father, we we sit in comfort, in air conditioning with your holy scriptures wide open. Father, we, we have um, hours today together to look into your word. Father, you've been so gracious to us, Father. Help us to be more thankful, God, for what we have. Father, let us... Let us stir our minds up, Father, to concentrate and to study and to remember your word, God, as we don't want to take this time in vain. Father, I pray for Pastor Emilio today, God. I pray that you would heal his body. Father, we pray that you would get him back on his feet. Father, so that you can use him for what he was created for, which is to preach your gospel. Father, so we pray that you would be pleased to heal him. Father, today, that he would... Um, go today um, energized, rested even, Father, and and just burning to get back in the pulpit. Father, I pray for mercy and grace today, Father, as I um, ascend your pulpit to preach. God, I pray for your blessing. God, uh, help me, God, and bless your church today um, as we're gathered here in your name. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.